Morning, beloved. Good to see you all today. We'll continue our study in Ecclesiastes. We'll pick up where we left off. We're in chapter 10. This morning we'll be looking at uh, verses 12 through 20. Verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Uh, Within wisdom literature, that's what Ecclesiastes is, um, we're taught that our very own mind, apart from the word of God, um, will lead us astray. I mean, even, even if my idea, whatever it be, seems to make so much sense, we're reminded in the scripture, Proverbs 4.12, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And even if I'm convinced that I'm a really good person and I stand on high moral ground, scripture also reminds me, Proverbs 16.2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirit. Charles Spurgeon once said that the doorstep to the temple of wisdom is the knowledge of our own ignorance. We're not as wise as we think we are. So when we read wisdom literature, we read the wise line and the line of the fool, we want to be careful that we don't see ourselves as the wise line and the person who's, who's not here is the fool or the person sitting next to you. <laughs> if we're honest with ourselves, says Philip Ryken, and humble before God, we have to confess that we're not always wise in what we say, what we do with our money, how we respond to temptation. We are prone to make foolish comments, unwise expend- expenditures, and foolhardy decisions. If we want to get any wiser, we need to start by admitting our folly. Only then will we be ready to grow in the wisdom of God. End quote. Uh, We've been looking at a collection of proverbial sayings, each one uh, able to stand on its own. But together we see and we have seen that uh, they they, they portray for us uh, a portrait And that is a portrait of a fool. And that's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. And that, of course, is in contrast um, to the wise person. 
So a distinction is being made between two roads of life, and that is the road of wisdom and the road of folly. And within the context of folly, we saw last time um, the calamities that overtake a fool. And there in verses 8 and 9, if you remember, the fool seeks to hurt his neighbor. He digs a pit, setting a trap, setting a snare for his neighbor, for whatever reason, to get ahead or to bring his friend or neighbor down, and he falls into the pit. The fool who doesn't respect boundaries, the fool who doesn't respect jurisdictions, breaks through a wall, and the picture there is the uh, stone hedge of a vineyard, breaking through it, and as the fool breaks through it, there's a serpent there, and he's bitten. He's struck. Those who do not respect landmarks, they seek to remove them. They'll be hurt by them, taking stones from a quarry or large stones that have been placed there to to set a particular boundary uh, will find themselves run over by the very stone they're trying to move. That's the folly that we've been looking at. He will bring calamity upon his own head. So he thinks that he's going to prosper by deceiving or hurting others, and along the way, his evil act comes back to hurt him. That's that's what was in sight for us last time. And it's not as an accident, but as a divine providential judgment. Look at Proverbs 26, 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Wisdom understands that whatsoever a man shall sow, that he shall reap. The fool disregards that. And then remember verse 11, look at that. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. So a venomous serpent, the picture is it's ready to bite, so it must be charmed. Get the picture of the, the Indian playing his flute, and the cobra rises up. He's charming the one who is otherwise deadly and dangerous. There are people in this world who are ready to bite you. They don't like you. They're disturbed with you. They perhaps are bitter at you, and you don't even know it. You know, it's funny. I've received phone calls in my time <laughs> recently. A guy called me up, and he says, I just want to confess to you that I've been bitter at you for three years. (laughs) I said, well, I had no idea. Now, if he were bitter with me, he didn't have to tell me that. Okay, take it to the Lord, confess it, repent, and then pray for me. Right? So if you're bitter with someone and they don't know it, keep it to yourself. Repent. Move on. But there are people who, without hissing, if you will, without any noise... They give no warning at all. They will turn on you and they will strike like a cobra. So the wisdom here has been, what, do you, what, you, what should you do? Well, you should charm them. Even so, no matter how charming you may be, there are those who will unexpectedly bite. Smooth words, as David's companion Ahithophel had smooth words and appeared to be a friend. They walked in counsel together, turned on him. We looked at that last time. So there are fools like that. So that was the first part of the fool's portrait shown to us in verses 8 through 11. 
And the second part of the portrait of a fool we see here in verses 12 through 14, and that is the fool overflows with words but lacks insight. Full of words, no wisdom. You know, we've looked at the principle of one who's in a position of authority, the loud, shouting ruler, chapter 9, verse 17. He is a man of many words, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's the wisest man in the room. People in positions of authority aren't necessarily to be seen as the sage of the age. That's the point. Sometimes the silent one, the quiet one in the corner, listening actually has the insight that we need. And we saw an example of that back in chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Even though one is quiet, side note, just because someone is quiet, does not, it's not a universal truth that they're wise. Still waters always don't, don't always run deep, amen? Could be a mud puddle. So just because someone's silent doesn't mean they're full of wisdom. So as Abraham Lincoln once said, why open your mouth and prove it, that you're the fool? Right? If you're quiet and you don't have wisdom, just remain quiet. You know, just because someone's been a Christian for 40 years does not qualify them for uh, eldership or church leadership. As much as they may pine away in order to be one. So this section now has to do with the matter of the tongue, which is a symbol of man's speech. And the tongue, as Jesus said, reveals what's inside of a man. What a man is, is sooner or later articulated by his words. So the tongue says a lot about a man's character. That's what's being shown to us here. And that's why we have to be watchful, amen? We have to be very careful. Not of everyone else, but again, of of ourselves. Wisdom literature is for us to look into, and oftentimes it serves as a mirror. So we want to meditate on what's being said, and in particular circumstances, whatever it is I have said, I need to reflect and say, was I rambling on, or did my words show forth any wisdom whatsoever? Notice verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. He's telling us here that our own words can ruin us. The words of the wise, those are well-chosen words. So the formula of wisdom here is to speak the right word at the right time to the right person. The words of the wise are, they come in in good form, if you will. They're formed. They, They have appropriate form for the circumstances at hand. And the words of that wise man's mouth win him favor. And we all know Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Sometimes the wise will remain silent. Jesus himself remains silent at times. So we have to speak in regard to the circumstance. Jesus was confronted at his trial. Times he answered, times he didn't. He remained silent. 
So in contrast to the tongue of the wise here is the tongue of the fool. And his, his speech, we're told, has uh, the ability to create many more problems than he ever resolves. Just babbling on. And you know, only fools speak all the time. Without regard for circumstance. And he shows his folly. And it's to their own detriment. Proverbs 10.21 The lips of the righteous feed many. The words of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. So lips of the wise will grant knowledge to many. You ever been around a very wise person? It's just everything that comes out of their mouth is, 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 is like this. Words fitly spoken, like apples of gold in settings of silver. Right word at the right time. Amazing wisdom. And it grants knowledge to many. The fool not only doesn't help others, he, he doesn't even help himself. He speaks to his own ruin. That's the, that's the principle. Verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. And the end of his talk is evil madness. So here he's telling us this fools love to talk. They love to multiply words from beginning to end. He just spouts forth foolishness. All the while he's void of understanding. He lacks discernment. He lacks discretion. His words are oftentimes full of vanity. They're vain. They talk and they talk and they talk. And they don't know what they're talking about. That's the fool being shown to us here. And they just climbed the meter of folly. The more they talk, it says folly, folly, fool. Especially if they're talking about themselves. Fools love to talk about themselves. Now there is, of course, a certain amount of self-talk that is good, right? After all, in order for people to know anything about you, you're going to have to speak about yourself. They're going to inquire of you. You speak about yourself. That's not wrong in and of itself. But fools, the picture is that the fool multiplies words. He never stops. They go on and on with silly, vain, trivial thoughts. And everyone has to suffer as they go on. And then notice it it begins that way, and then it ends in madness, mischievous madness. That that means like heartful, hurtful, uh, to the heart, bad things is the idea. And, And madness here has to do with being headstrong with regard to their passions, whatever their passions are, and in spite of how foolish they are. It's madness. They're disordered in their thinking, they're disordered in their reasoning, and they ramble on. Contrast to that, Proverbs 15, 2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pour out folly. Proverbs 14, 7, Leave, here it is, leave the presence of a fool. For there you do not meet words, meet words of knowledge. So when a fool rambles on with folly running out of his mouth, it says, go. Get out of his way. Leave the room. Fools always think they have something to say about everything. And most often they want attention. Again, this is the portrait of a fool. 
Now, probably no, no one will talk all day now at, <laughs> in fellowship. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I'll ask my wife, we were out somewhere, and I'll say, did, did I talk too much? You know, you talk with other Christians, you talk, well, for last night, for instance, we were with Christians having great, rich fellowship. And I wonder, I said, I hope I didn't talk too much, right? Well, I'll be paranoid now. You know, sometimes people ramble on about things that they do, good deeds that they do, on and on. I have a dear neighbor like that, unbeliever, goes on and on and on and tells me everything that they do, every little good deed they do. You know, and I said to her once, and I said, let me ask you a question, so-and-so. I says, when you die, are you going to heaven? She started crying. And her answer, I'm trying. And I said, that's the problem. That's your problem. I mean, I said it in love. I don't give her the gospel, and it's Christ alone, but the epitome of pride, right, rejects the gospel. Because the gospel absolutely assaults human pride. So, so we ramble on about how good we are or the good that we do. Verse 14, a fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? So he, he, he says the same thing over and over again. Using, as John Gill puts it, an abundance of waste words. An abundance of waste words. He utters whatever comes to his mind without any order or discernment in what he's saying. He speaks on every subject, whether he knows anything about the subject or not. And he dominates the conversation. And what's ironic is the people in the room, out of all the people in the room, he's the least qualified to speak about that subject that he just rambles on. He multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. He talks about tomorrow. Most fools are very opinionated about everything. And for some reason, again, as Philip Ryken states, a fool is seldom content to keep his folly to himself, but insists on sharing it with others. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? You know, Plato once said, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. You know, uh, they're prone to big talk. Fools are big talkers. They're always talking about the done deal when the deal ain't done. Or they're always talking about tomorrow and everything they're going to achieve tomorrow. They're very presumptuous. presumptuous. They're very arrogant. What does James tell us? James 4, come now. Come now. You who say tomorrow... Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there in trade, and we're going to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Where do you think you got that language from? Ecclesiastes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So those who are in the presence of the fool, listening to his blather, have no idea, this fool has no idea, 
what he's talking about. And if you tell him he knows not what he's talking about, he'll be very offended and he'll strike. Such is the fool in his folly. His talk is, is confused and it's loud, it's noisy, and it's an ongoing rambling. That's what's being drawn for us. When some people speak, wisdom pours forth and it's a pleasure. The fool is just the opposite. And all you can think of him is like, would you please be quiet? Please? Some people talk and it's like, brother, don't stop. Don't stop. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Not the fool. Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips, again, here it is, comes to ruin. Destruction comes to the fool who cannot keep his mouth closed. Proverbs 15.28, the heart of the righteous, notice this, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. In other words, the wise, he thinks before he speaks. So many times, I have not thought about what I was about to say. Anybody else? You know, we we have the saying, you know, uh, look before you what? Leap. That's very wise. Look before you leap. The fool can't do that. Okay, the, the, the fool speaks whether he knows what he's talking about or not. Notice Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool, okay, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. You know, the Bible says much that commends silence. Think about that. God himself throughout Scripture many times is what? Silent. You know, we think he talked to Abraham and the patriarchs like on a daily basis. He didn't. I think you count in the course of 13 years, he talked to Abraham less than a handful of times. He remained silent. That's why the Bible says so much about faith. And so God, who knows everything about everything is at times silent. So that's something that we need to reflect on and learn from. And I'm speaking of myself as well, so trust me. So looking at the portrait of a fool, we, we, we move now, okay, from, from the tongue to the fool and his work. The fool and his work. Notice verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him. For he does not know the way to the city. You know, this this verse is filled with exaggeration and hyperbole. He tells us that the fool is so out of it, he doesn't even know how to get to the city from the country. Okay, and even in the ancient world, major cities were well marked out. So here he wearies himself. And not knowing the way to town is an expression for incompetence. He's so incompetent. He can't get from the village to the city. And what goes on in the city? Trade. He can't find a a great metropolis, let alone a little village. He wearies himself. 
In other words, fools don't know the most elementary things because they're so unteachable. You know, we'd say this guy doesn't know enough to come out of the rain. Notice his work wearies him. He's the fool. He's He's the fool who hacks away at a tree with a dull axe, expending all kinds of energy. Not He's unprepared. Back in verse 10, notice if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. It's just a picture of not being prepared. We need to sharpen ourselves, right? All these young people that are growing up in this church, hopefully, if they're engaged, they're sharpening themselves for the future, amen? Where we're trying to sharpen them for the future. We're trying to, to, to show them and to teach them that you must be prepared for the future, right? You're going to go out and be tempted. When they grow up, I don't care how much one shelters their children. When they go out there, okay, and they're going to go out there sometime. Let's not let them be fooled. Let's let them know proper biblical wisdom and the calamities of life and the temptations of life so they can be sharp when they grow prepared. Uh, the preacher, Kolef, he now returns to the political arena, verses 16 and 17. Um, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Uh, these verses describe like national disaster under someone who's entirely incompetent. In the world, child here is not necessarily limited to age, but but can also, in a political context, uh, refer to one's incompetence. And here's the result of his immaturity. Power, oftentimes, will go to a young ruler's head, right? You think about some of these young athletes, okay? You're 21 years old. You receive a $10 million contract. What's a 21-year-old most going to do with $10 million? And who are incredibly gifted, and in two years, they get a signing bonus, and then they make like $70 million. Now they're 24. Most of it goes to their head, and they self-destruct, many of them. So in his folly, this, this young ruler, the picture is he may be partying when he ought to be protecting the nation. So drinking or feasting when when he should be tending to his responsibilities. And here, there's a time to feast and there's a time to work. And the fool gets up in the morning and feasts. That's a problem. This is backward leadership. It's upside-down leadership. And Colath has shown us this throughout Ecclesiastes. Things many times in this world are upside down. Especially if one lives with a, an anthropocentric view of life, that is, under the sun, man-centered, with, without God in sight, things are upside down. And here it is again. Work needs to come first. Feasting comes after the work is done. That's the way of wisdom. So rulers and princes who are bad for the nation bring sorrow to a nation. Nobility does just the opposite. 
Happy is the land, he says. Happy is the land. Okay, notice verse 18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in. And through indolence, the house leaks. Okay, now uh, the idea in the ancient, in the ancient Near East, uh, most roofs were flat, covered in limestone or thatch. So it took a lot of, uh, it required a lot of upkeep. A lot of upkeep, regular maintenance. So this verse here, beloved, would apply, could apply to the civil magistrate or, and also to the individual fool. The one who's lazy, negligent. Negligence is another mark of a fool. This could be a slothful, lazy magistrate, as we just read, and just the the lazy, everyday fool. Okay, His his roof is caving in because he's too lazy to, to perform the required maintenance required. So this is really can serve us as a metaphor for, for any enterprise that we're involved in. Raising a family, running a business, upkeep on your house. Very simple. It takes hard work. It takes diligence to acquire those things. So if it takes so much diligence to acquire those things, they need to be followed up with. Followed up on. Maintained. But the fool, through sloth, his roof sinks in. Proverbs 24, verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. You know, no one will succeed in this life without discipline. Amen? You just can't. It's impossible. Children will never learn how to work if you do everything for them. Just do everything for little junior or for my little princess. No. We have to teach them how to work, hard work. And and don't be anyone, never be a person who complains about the weeds in your neighbor's yard when your fence is falling down. Right? I have a neighbor like that as well. I have great neighbor stories, but I'll hold them. Because we sit on the front porch and we talk. I, people come over, I, I have the front porch, sit out there and you talk. You look, you listen, and you try to speak gospel truth. Some have ears to hear, others do not. And then you experience things like this. Complaining about his yard when literally your fascia board is rotting. Look at it, right? May we not be like that. You know, I believe a Christian witness is compromised when people come into your home and it's a mess. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking just general cleanliness and orderliness. You shouldn't have to wade through, you know, two feet of garbage in a Christian's home, living in, amidst a mess. I think it compromises a Christian witness. And I think that upkeep and this type of wisdom and maintenance is part of Christian discipleship. Orderliness. Not perfection again, not perfection, but orderliness. It never ceases to amaze me to to hear certain people, and I'm talking about Christians, whine and and ramble and rail against 
the government that they, they say is a mess and is a crooked is crooked, and their life is a mess. Just in the practical things. Okay, we all have struggles. I understand. We all have trials and temptations. We all have that. But they're they're just sloppy, messy. Their life is in shambles, and they complain about everything else. We must not be like that. This fool, Derek Derek Kidner says, is the man who makes things needlessly difficult for himself by his stupidity. Sometimes even Christians make things hard. They complain about the government and they sponge tax dollars and they've never worked a day in their life. Now, I don't know if you can be a Christian and be like that, to be quite honest. Never worked a day in their life. They complain and then they get paid by the government. The very thing they complain about. Verse 19. Notice now there's a shift. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. Okay, now this is a, another proverb that can be easily misunderstood. Okay, yeah. all right? So if we take Scripture as a whole, if we look at Scripture as a whole, let Scripture interpret Scripture, we know that money does have its limitations, amen? Money has its limitations. Money isn't to be trusted. Money is not to be worshipped. You cannot buy health with money. You cannot buy good health with money. You cannot buy happiness with money. Sometimes, but it's limited limited and you certainly cannot buy eternal security with money okay so what is he talking about remember this in context to the theme of ecclesiastes and in contrast to folly and slothfulness what we see here is the wisdom of diligence and hard work it's the wisdom of diligence and hard work so from a practical perspective when we see bread Okay, bread is a daily requirement. Okay, wine is a delicious pleasure. You remember back in chapter 9, verse 7. Go, eat your bread in joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. In other words, God provides all these things, and we're to rejoice in them and thank Him for it all. That's the principle we've seen. So God's blessings in this life are to be enjoyed with a thankful heart knowing the source from whom they come and it's almighty God and another way God blesses us is is with money and that is to simply enjoy the ordinary things of life that's that's the theme that we've seen laid out in Ecclesiastes so we don't want to extend what's being said here and that is just, just a blank statement that says, you know, money is the answer to everything. We don't want to extend it to that, but we also mustn't deny what's being said. And it's just a blessing of God. God provides. He provides daily pleasures for us as we drink and as we eat every day. And one of those ways for which he provides is to give us wealth. We're not all at the same level, that's for sure. But God provides, and we're to thank Him for it. God richly provides us everything, 1 Timothy 6, everything to enjoy. Enjoy. We ought not to be like bitter Christians. 
we ought to be rejoicing. You know, being a spiritual, a super spiritual person isn't denying the pleasures in life that God provides. That you're not super spiritual if 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 you, if you do that. That that would be like hyper spirituality. It's not in harmony with Scripture. We're not to be gluttonous, right? We're not to go try to live at this level when we only earn money at this level. That would be foolish. But along the way, we're to enjoy what God provides. And, you know, as we said a few weeks ago, um, just because, you know, you can afford to eat steak and you choose to eat oatmeal three times a day, it does not make you a more spiritual person at all. Okay, verse 20 moves on. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. In other words, he says here, don't think that private conversations will remain private. People will eventually tell what you say. Even when they promise that they won't. So, his point, don't think that what everything you say in private remains private. It's very likely if you're talking about another person, they'll eventually hear about it. So, he, say here, he says here, you know, words have wings and they fly <laughs> in an unanticipated direction. See, that's why gossip is so dangerous, especially when it shows up in the church. Now, in context here, if it happens to someone who's in authority, a position of authority, in, in most specifically here, under a dictatorial ruler, it may cost you your life. Because if word get back, gets back to a monarch, you may lose your head. He says, so don't be a fool. So a little folly with the tongue can result in, in your death, or at the least, um, harsh punishment. That's the main idea here. You know, we have a little expression, you know, a a little bird told me, right? Or, hey, be careful, the walls have ears, right? 19th century commentator G.W. Milne said this, speaking about the bird flying. Listen to this. Learn to keep your secret to yourself. It is snug to know that the bird is in the cage, securely fastened. And though it flutter against the bars, desiring its liberty, still keep it closed. No harm it will do while there. What mischief it might do if let loose, you know not. If you think evil of a man, what need to mention it? End quote. It's so easy to sin with our tongues, amen? It's so easy easy to be careless with our tongues, and I'm including myself. Because gossip serves as a way for us to feel better about ourselves. We talk about another Christian in a derogatory manner. It's, it's a way to kind of puff us up. So we have to ask ourselves here, are we subtly or even directly speaking so as to tear this person down? That's the wisdom we need. And again, I begin with the man in the mirror. 
because we're all guilty. And, and nothing tears down a church faster than negative, cynical, critical, gossipy words. Nothing. All right, so we're almost out of time. So let's think about a great contrast. We talk about rulers and we talk about princes that are corrupt. By contrast, we have a ruler and a prince who gave his life for us. Amen? The Lord Jesus Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords. Prince of peace. And he did it so he, in order to provide us not only eternal security, but also joy now. Joy right now. Everlasting security. So the greatest gift we have is that we've been born again of the Spirit, solely by grace, unmerited favor, granted faith to believe in the God who saves. And our living hope is by the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is wisdom personified. Amen? So in contrast to all these examples of folly, foolishness, we, we, we have this. We have the Lord, the very wisdom of God. Therefore, look at Psalm 90, verse 12. So then, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Proverbs 3.18, She, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast, what are they called? Blessed. Blessed. And then finally, Ephesians 5, verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And only we who are in Christ can know that. It's chapter 5 of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3 all define God's sovereign, glorious grace shown to us predestinating us, regenerating us, indwelt with the Spirit, sealing us for eternal glory. The two have become one. The middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile has been broken down in Christ Jesus. We're all, we're one. The mystery's been revealed in Christ. All the mystery of the Old Testament is on display in Christ so we can understand the Old Testament and the New because Christ has come. So, therefore, he says... With all of that grace, being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, when he gets to chapter 4, he says, therefore now walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And here's wisdom. Look carefully how you walk. Amen? Because we can. We can. For what we've been given and who we have. It's Christ Jesus.